Truth declared, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. What's going on in your life right now in which you're having a struggle trusting God? There are those things, aren't there? Where it's honestly a struggle to trust him. And yet we know that ultimately he is trustworthy. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. Well, we turn our attention from worshiping the Lord in song to worshiping him through his word. And since the very first Sunday of this year, of 2018, uh, we've been searching for answers to some of life's difficult questions using the book of Ecclesiastes to mine out the wisdom of the wisest man who ever lived named Solomon. But we've been asking questions like, where can I find happiness? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I fit into God's plan? Why is my life so unfair? Why do I feel so alone? Why does my work seem so much like work? And why is it so hard to manage my money in last week? Why am I not healthy, wealthy, and wise? And this morning, uh, we're going to take a moment just uh, review the book of Ecclesiastes and then reflect for a moment on how God has spoken to us, uh, both as a congregation and you and perhaps your family. Uh, what is it that God has been showing you from the book of Ecclesiastes that you've been applying to your life and heart as we've been looking at some of these difficult questions that life gives us? So uh, we're going to begin by reviewing, and uh, then if there's enough time, we'll do a little bit of sharing. And then we'll close our time with communion. Does that sound all right to everybody? Okay. Uh, unless the Holy Spirit directs us otherwise. So uh, let's review. I did not have Aaron uh, put these questions, your test, and I reminded you there would be a quiz today, right? You all understood that. So I'm sure you're all going to do very, very well on this quiz. Uh, we didn't put them on sermon notes, but we're going to use the screen. Is that okay with you? Here we go. First question. It's multiple choice, so you stand at least some odds of getting the correct answer. All right. Uh, the Hebrew name of Ecclesiastes and its author, both the name of the book and the author of the book, use the Hebrew word koheleth, which means assembler of students, collector of wise sayings, professor all the above, or E, A, and B above. And since this congregation has so much unity, I'm sure you'll get this one completely right. Uh, what's the right answer? Yes, absolutely right. Who said that? That was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. All right, other than Jesus, uh, on that list, A through E, which is correct. That was good. That was very good. Okay, go ahead, just shout it out. Okay, we have a, a difference of opinion between D and E. That's what I'm hearing. How many of you are D kind of folk? No, no you don't have to go like this. <laughs> Be loud and proud. Come on. Uh, how many of you are D folk? Okay, good, good. How many of you are E folk? Who's right? E. It's E. Okay. Uh, the word can be translated teacher or professor, but the word in its meaning is A and B. Okay? So, good. We wiped out about half of you right off the bat. That's always a good sign. Okay? Number two. Although unidentified, the author we discussed is Solomon. 
right? I, I believe that. He was the wisest, the richest man who ever lived, the son of David and Bathsheba, the author of 3,000 Proverbs and more than 1,000 songs, or E, all the above. The correct answer being? E is correct. Three. A key word used in this book is meaningless, right? We've discussed that over and over again. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything's meaningless, which can be translated vapor, breath, wisp of smoke, or D, all the above. The correct answer is D is correct. Okay, not quite so vocal on that one. All right, four. Ecclesiastes is a part of the genre of literature, and the Bible is written in certain genres of literature, which we need to pay attention to called wisdom literature, which includes the following books, A, B, C, or D. So there's some variety there. I don't need to go over them all. I'll give you a moment just to ponder and reflect. Okay, I love the variety. Just love it. Me, D, A, wah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, how many of you think A is correct? Good thing your salvation is not dependent on that, Christopher. <laughs> All right, how many are B kind of people? You're wrong, too. All right, how many, how many think C is good? C seems really good. Danny with just a little bit of drum roll there. Sorry. It is D. So what, what are the books of wisdom literature? Good. Who's missing from them? Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Okay, those are the five books of the wisdom literature. Okay, good. How many of you have gotten every one of them wrong so far? Ah, just kidding. How many of you have gotten every one of them right so far? Yeah, you prideful, arrogant people, you. Jeez. Good. We're coming to communion table, so get your heart right, would you? All right. All right, five. Solomon's conclusion, Ecclesiastes, is this. Fear God, do what he says, that's it. All the above or none of the above. Who's calling out D with such desperation? Was that you, Rachel? No. I know, because you're much louder than that. I, you, it would have been, Dah! yeah, that's Rachel. The correct answer is? Correct. D. Here's how we looked at it. Remember we started with the end in mind? It's very important when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, start with the end in mind. Otherwise we get off in all kinds of different weird stuff. Here now is my final conclusion, Solomon wrote. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Do you believe that? I do. I love the way the message puts it. The last and final word is this. Fear God, do what he tells you, and that's all. Nice and simple, right? Wow. Okay, ready for some true and false? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. Okay, A. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's false. Thank you very much. Love setting you guys up. You just read it carefully. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay. Oh, come on. What kind of a teacher is this anyway? Just sets us up like that. All right. Let's try another one for redemption, all right? The phrase under the sun is used 29 times in Ecclesiastes, 
and nowhere else in the Bible. True or false? Wow. That is, Aaron, that is true. It is true. Good. How are we doing out there? Not so good. Okay. Who's got every one of them right so far? Oh, we kind of wiped. Jeff Clapp? Who? Zach, you too? Seriously? Jeff, you got them right? Okay, why don't you two guys stand? <laughs> go ahead. Zach, Jeff, go ahead and stand. It's Jeff Clapp. What should we do? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is you guys picking the winner. Almost down the final four. Okay, you can be seated. Let's see who does this. Yeah, we do have four left. This is going to be interesting. Zach, you can sit down. Okay, we all love you, but okay. Um, where did I leave off? See, okay. The word meaningless is used some 28 times in 12 chapters. That is true. Good. D, the book was written about 300 B.C., About 935 B.C. Okay. So the way I always remember Old Testament chronology, uh, the Exodus happened about 1,500, so that's Moses. And then I remember about 1,000 is when David reigned, and he was the son of David. So you can kind of figure it from there. 1,500, 1,000 B.C. Key, Moses, David, right? Then Solomon. All right. Uh, e, Solomon asked about 32 questions in the 10 chapters of this book. I'm leaning towards false. Why is it false? There's 12 chapters. Oh. He did ask 32 questions, however, in the 12 chapters, which I think is incredibly significant because if you look at the life of Jesus, always asking questions, often never asking, answering the questions that were asked of him, but rather asking his own questions. And if we can get our head around this and learn to do this in other people's lives, uh, we're going to be far, there'll be a far, there'll be much more openness to the gospel, I believe, if we learn to ask questions the way Jesus asks questions. Not answering the ones that don't need to be answered. He was never pulled into the political discussions or the culture of his day, but he was always answering questions of the heart and always asking questions. What do you need? What do you want me to do for you? Very, very important. Okay? Uh, the last one. Solomon referenced work or labor some 42 times in this book. Could be the, the champion is determined on this question. Solomon referenced work or labor, as we talked about that, uh, some 42 times in the book. That is true. 12 chapters, 42 times. It's a very practical book. It hits us right where we live again and again and again, correct? Look at the wisdom of Solomon. Okay, we're down to Zach and Jeff. And if know where you are, you're in church before God's people. <laughs> I don't have any paper to prove this. Jeff? You got the last one wrong. You stumbled right at the end. 
so close. Should we give him a participation award? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's Rachel. You see, when Rachel goes, we know. Okay, good. Zach, it's all down to you, bud. So you got one wrong, too, kind of. Did he just speak in tongues, or is that... Let's hear it for these two guys. Nice job. Okay, uh, we buzzed through that really quick. So uh, we do have a, a few minutes just to enjoy each other's company. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, is there something in these last few months that God has just kind of stirred in your heart or a question that's been raised or God spoke to you? And through this series uh, that you can share with the rest of us. Again, uh, we don't need teaching. We need the application that God uh, put into your heart as a result of wrestling with some of these difficult questions. And you know, uh, when we study the Word of God, it often intersects in real life, doesn't it? Wham! And it hits us right where we are. So uh, anyone with a word this morning, I'll come on down with this one and we'll see if someone's got just something to share here. So I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to come to church week after week unless the Word of God is being lived out when we leave this place. Do you agree with that? Yeah. So uh, who's got something to share about how this book of Ecclesiastes kind of intersected with your life uh, through one of these questions? Good. Adam? Okay, now as I mentioned last week, you're going to have this thought out and concise because we love Adam. One of the greatest things I've been struggling with is how much effort to put into a house that Tina and I just bought. And what I really feel like God has told me through this process in the last couple months is uh, regardless of whatever material possession you have, think of it. Don't think of it as like this is the last place I'm going to live or this is the last car I'm going to purchase. Don't put so much effort and restoration and maintenance or whatever it is in that material possession to the point where you think you're going to hold on to it till your passing breath. Like just assume that it's going to be gone, like you're going to live there for maybe three years. So what's the use of putting a tremendous amount of time and effort mm. into your house or your car or whatever it is in your life? Just assume that it's going to be sold and given to somebody else at some point. Wow. It's a good word, isn't it? What's priority according to the book of Ecclesiastes the entire scripture? It's not things, it's what? It's relationships. Because that's what's going to outlive us. That's right. Good. Good. Excellent. Someone else? How has the book kind of intersected with your life? I was really uh, challenged by the message that Solomon basically had it all and that it didn't satisfy him. He considered it um, empty to have those things, that he, he actually saw the end of pleasure. He saw the end of extreme wealth. He saw the end of accomplishments that he did with his hands and, and the things that he built. 
And um, I, I think in, in the field that I work in, in working with people, um, I've kind of made the decision that people are going to be more important to me. But at the same time, you think about wealth and you know, how, far, how far do you go with your education. And so I think you know, be, because of money, be like, okay, how much time am I going to invest in the pursuit of money in my life? And so uh, it was just, it, it put things in perspective to see that Solomon, you know, he had accomplished the fullness of that and, and decided that it was worthless. Uh, and I don't want to gain the whole world or gain just a small piece of the world and, and, and miss Jesus. So. Great. Good word. Someone else? Good. So here's the deal with me. Um, it's no secret I'm not super happy where I work. I'll be honest with you. And it it's, takes a little courage to say that because my supervisor is behind me. <laughs> so, but here's the deal. When I was in the service years ago, I was an air traffic controller, and I used to, I'm going to just be frank, I used to bitch about having to climb down three flights of stairs to make coffee because I didn't drink coffee at the time. So I was unhappy about certain aspects of that job. And I'm certainly unhappy about certain aspects of the job I'm doing now. But reading through Ecclesiastes, I did actually when we first started the series. And I'm convinced no matter what I do, there's going to be spots where I'm unhappy. So the biggest thing is to work, whatever you're doing, you do it for God, and he provides. And ultimately, that's all that matters. So, and I'm, I'm doing what I can to move on, and not because of money, because I might make less, it doesn't even matter. But the bottom line is God's in control, and he's going to provide. So that's, that's all I got to say. Amen. Nice job, Ron. That was cool. Good. Who else? Uh, I got issues, period. Um, <laughs> I have authority issues. I have uh, issues towards towards Christians, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. towards churchy people. Mm -hmm. um, just got a pessimistic attitude quite a bit. Uh, I've read this book before, um, but not in light of how I've seen it this time. Um, as I read it this time, I've I seen, <clears throat> I seen an old man sitting there in his chair, looking at his life and being like, what the hell happened? Mm -hmm. What did I do? What did I chase after? And I think it's one of the more relatable books in the Old Testament because that is us. We are living in a very rich community, a very rich culture. Uh, we can have what we want when we want it. Um, so I really wanted to dig into this a little more. And I, if I'm honest with you, I think that I don't, I don't even think he had the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I really, as he says, follow God, I think he was at a loss, and that's what he came to. I think it was a plea that came 900 years later, mm -hmm. uh, and it mm -hmm. was Jesus Christ. That's right. I think it was, and, and this answer to meaningless, what is it, you know, and I think it's love to be honest with you. Hmm. And I'm not that ushy-gushy type of guy, and I'm not talking about that hippie, tree-hugging kind of love either. 
I'm talking about, you know, that love that, that restores the broken, that does miracles, That's right. that sacrifices even when it's unfair, that love that brings life to death. And that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful when you go to work, when you, when you go home, you know, and, and I think it is. It's a heart thing. So my issues started to, or started to become clear as to where I should go with it because it does feel meaningless a lot of times, mm-hmm. the love. And that's hard for me because I'm pessimistic and I want to see the bad sometimes. And I want to be the guy to knock people out when they're being a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't do that, right? God's like, no, stop. Don't do that. Um, so, so that's really kind of starting to change my perception of things. And my wife, my beautiful wife, has really helped me with that. So thank you, Pastor John. Sure. I'm not sure I want to follow that, but <laughs> as most of you know, well, maybe not most of you, a lot of you who followed me on Facebook this past week, I spent a fantastic week in Florida, and trying to get home, I'm kind of a nut as far as time goes. When I want something to happen, it's got to happen, it's got to happen now. It's why I'm good at my job, because it's got to happen now. So I get to the airport, and I had to go early, because my niece was flying in. So I'm there three hours early, and I hear the plane going to Milwaukee, not my flight, because my flight's three hours later, is leaving now, and they have two open seats. So I go up and I ask, can I get on that flight? Sure, pay your money, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Get to the runway, and the storm comes in. And now I'm going to sit on this plane now for two hours because he said it's at least an hour to two. And I said, I send a text to my wife, frustrated, blah, 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 you know. Send it to my sister, blah, 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 all frustrated. And then I said, wait, Pastor John's been talking about God. Close my eyes. I started praying. And before, as I, entered in, as I ended it in Jesus' name, the pilot gets on the plane, storms open, we're free to go. It did. All I had to do was pray for about 15 seconds. God, I need you now. My wife wants me home. I don't want to wait three hours. I, I want to get home now. And so does everybody else on the plane. So help us out. And I'm not kidding you. The skies opened up and away we went. Home three hours early. All right. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> well, uh, we sang it earlier. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. His word is unfailing. And uh, now as we uh, uh, shift for for a moment just to uh, think about the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, at least for now, and the start of Holy Week. Uh, This for uh, believers around the world is such such an important and incredible time. You you agree with me? So let's uh, uh, shift gears just for a moment. The start of Holy Week. What was going on on that strange Sunday about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem as we consider that and prepare our hearts for communion? Uh, Passover in Jerusalem was, in fact, a a pretty crazy time. The population of the city went from about 30,000 to about 150,000. So uh, God-fearing Jews would, would come and return to the Holy City for the feast of the Passover, and Jesus was one of those that 
was coming back for uh, Passover. Now, if there are calendars hanging in Jewish kitchens uh, on the fridge, uh, this date, the date of Passover, would be circled in red. Extremely important date uh, for those of a Jewish background. Why? Because Passover was a party. And Jewish folk like to party generally. This was a rowdy celebration. There was a singing of songs and the blurring of uh, trumpets and the telling of stories and banners waving uh, around fires late into the night. It was, in fact, a giant party, a gigantic family reunion as these thousands of people returned to remember what God had done for them 1,500 years earlier in freeing his people from the bondage of Egypt. And we think in American culture, something's a couple hundred years. They were celebrating what had happened 1,500 years before. And they poured into Jerusalem to relive that deliverance, to, to thank God for his faithfulness over the centuries. And businesses would close and everyone rejoiced. Almost everyone rejoiced. Because while the city celebrated, the religious people in high places we're plotting the execution of Jesus of Nazareth. So, on that day, Jesus was hanging out in Bethany. It was a suburb of Jerusalem, two miles uh, to the east. And that's where his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, lived. And he spent considerable time with them. And while there on this particular day, Mary had anointed him for his burial when she took that pint of pure nard, a very expensive perfume. It was worth about a day's wages. And she took that nard and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then she wiped his feet with her hair in an act of complete humiliation and brokenness. And the inside of that house was filled with the fragrance of her explosive act of worship. Now Jesus was ready to head into Jerusalem. He was about to make his last appearance into the holy city. And along the way, the crowd was going wild. We read about that in Luke 19. Just so welcoming and so inviting. They took off their outer garments or what we would call our jackets. And they would lay them before him as he rode on his donkey. And he would follow this garment-covered path the two miles into the city of Jerusalem. And the joyous mob was acknowledging Jesus as their king, perhaps the one who would deliver them from their Roman bondage and in the spirit of Passover, free God's people once again. Three of the Gospels mentioned branches being waved. That's a symbol in the Old Testament uh, of victory and of great joy. And they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us or praise the Lord. And I always like that. Al, where are you? Okay, give us a hallelujah. Hallelujah. No, like you mean it. Hallelujah. Okay, good. (laughs) Save us, praise the Lord, right? It's an expression of great joy that just emanates as our hearts are connected with God. It was the beginning of the beginning of a week unlike any other in human history. So that was Sunday as Jesus comes before these palm-waving people with their garments laid before him, saying, you are King Jesus. And the next day, on Monday, Jesus would make a whip and he would cleanse the temple of the money changers. 
And on Tuesday, he would have his last day of public teaching. It's called the Olivet Discourse, found in Matthew 24 and 25. He would take on the Jewish leaders for the last time and would seal his fate by his words. On Wednesday, Judas would meet with the high priest and the plot to assassinate him would go into fast mode. On Thursday, he would gather his disciples together for the Last Supper as they celebrated Passover together. And Jesus prayed all night in the Garden of Gethsemane in oh, to be there in that moment as he poured out his heart before his father. And then, of course, he was betrayed by a kiss from one of his own disciples named Judas, and they would arrest him. On Friday, he was abandoned and disowned and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and they would tack him to a cross, and they would crucify our Lord. I'm not exactly sure where he was on Saturday, but I know that Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And so we look at Holy Week. It's an important time uh, for us to celebrate again. And uh, just by way of reminder, uh, two services this Friday, uh, one at 1 o'clock and the other at 5.30. There's children's ministry for those who are older and child care for those who are younger. Uh, but understand, uh, this is important for the body of Christ in our community to celebrate together. And I am so pleased that Southside is at the epicenter of bringing churches of our community together. And that's a burden on my heart. I know it's a burden on your heart that we break down these walls and we come out of these silos. And if we can't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his crucifixion together, what do we have in common? And so this is a time of, of being together as the body of Christ, remembering that which binds us together, which binds us uh, to Christians of all ages, in all nations, in all backgrounds. What he has done for us. And then Easter Sunday morning family service right here at 10 o'clock, as Derek mentioned. Thank you. Thank you.